Hi folks, welcome to Fig Tree Ministries. As we here at Fig Tree Ministries are just starting out in this whole digital biblical education ministry, one way you can help us grow is through sharing our videos or the podcast format with your community through your favorite social media channel. If you've been impacted by one of our lessons, then it's likely that others just like you will be impacted in the same way. Our goal here is to help people gain a deeper understanding of the Bible and their spiritual growth walk by exploring the cultural context within which Scripture was written. And we find so often that something little in the culture can illuminate what was being said or written so many years ago. So we ask you, as you gain insight into the biblical text, that you would share with others and help them progress down what is often a difficult path of understanding their Bible and how to apply it to our lives today. So we bless you all for the support that you've given us and your efforts in helping us grow our ministry. And we hope that you enjoy today's lesson. So today, we're still in a series about the Sea of Galilee, but we're going to take a detour. And there's an old saying that curriculum is what the what the teacher prepares, and detour or interruption is God's curriculum. So we're going to take a little detour because of a number, and God willing, what I'll be able to communicate is something that's just it's magnificent when, you, when we can look deep enough into this narrative that's happening and be able to apply it to our lives today. That I really, my hope is, and I use the word hope, my hope is, is that you will be able to see something that will help you in your daily walk and then be able to find it in this story because the Sometimes the Bible, you know, we are living a modern Western culture, and we're reading an ancient Eastern document. And that right there creates problems, because we think, well, why didn't they just say it plainly? But to them, they do. They're writing, Easterners communicate in a higher context way. We're not used to that. We, especially in America, low context, low context, low context. So... As we're looking at this narrative, and there's meaning nested in the narrative, and you're thinking, well, why didn't they just say it plainly? Well, A, they're, they're ancient Easterners, and B, there's something really powerful about discovering truth inside the narrative. Uh, it's, like a, it's like you have the revelation from above that comes from God, and then when you discover it yourself, it's a revelation from below, and it really solidifies something in our being. So, God willing, that will happen today. This is going to be a little bit of an extension of Sea of Galilee Part 8 and 9, which can be found um, on our website or uh, at the YouTube channel for Fig Tree Ministries. And those two, we started looking at the number 153, 153 fish in John 21. And then we said, well, why would he give us that number? And we talked the past two weeks about how that 153 is a triangular number, and it stands out. It's the triangle of 17. So to an ancient audience, that would stand out in a way that it doesn't stand out to us. And then we could connect it to a Hebrew word, because all Hebrew words have a numerical value. And there's a Hebrew word in Ezekiel that you only find once in the entire Bible, Eglime. 
and the value of that Hebrew word is also 153. So that led us down this path of looking at uh, triangle numbers, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at another triangle number. The number is 276. That's the triangle of 23. We'll talk about that in a minute here. And what I'm going to title it is 276, that's the number, and the hope of Israel. Now, that seems wildly disconnected right now, but let me try to show you where that comes from and how important the word hope is. We did last week, we looked at that ancient idea of being able to give a numerical value to a Hebrew word, and so that's what's going to happen today. There's a, there's a phrase in the Old Testament that's going to add up to 276, and it's going to be talking about the hope of Israel. God willing, I'll be able to show you that. What you can do is turn in your Bible, if you'd like, you can turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 27. That's where we're going to be. What I want to do just right now is show you the verse where this number shows up. And the context is that Paul is heading to Rome. Paul is on a ship, and there's a storm. And, of course, the storm represents that the chaos, the enemy of God. Uh, Paul's going to Rome, and after a while, the crew is just—they've lost all hope. And then Paul is, at this point, going to say, look, we all need to have something to eat for strength. So Paul stands up and he says, hey, he says this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all, the, the crew. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. And then what Luke does is he adds a detail that almost seems like, hey, if he didn't add the detail, it wouldn't change the story. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. And this is where, if you're a Bible scholar, they look at a sentence like that and think, now, why did Luke add that? Because if you left that sentence out, it wouldn't change the narrative. There's a shipwreck, Paul's going to, to Rome, but he puts a detail in about 276, and then you realize, oh, wait a minute, that's a triangle number, so he's, now it's got significance. Okay, why is he including a triangle number, 276? And then perhaps there's something in the Old Testament that that's going to be pointing to that would also have the, the numerical value of 276? And the answer, of course, is yes. So as soon as you see that number, you start asking questions, and you're not being disrespectful of the text. You really want to find out how Luke is communicating so, we, so that we can have something revealed to us. So we know from the, the past couple weeks, if you take a number, the, in this case, it's 23. So 23 is the we want to say to ourselves, what's the triangle of 23? If we created an equilateral triangle, equal on all sides, with 23 units on each side, how many units would make up that triangle? And so you'd do the math like this. You'd say 23 plus 22 plus 21 plus 20, 18, 17, 16, all the way down, plus 1. If you add up all those numbers, you get the number 276. And so now you see that there's it's a special number. It's the 23rd in the series of triangular numbers. 
So this is the verse, and that's the question we want to ask. Why 276? And where can we, if possible, connect that to the Old Testament? And what's really cool is that in the Old Testament, this, there's a phrase that only shows up twice, which means it stands out. Just like Iglime only shows up once. So if, it, if, you, if you have something that only shows up a couple of times, they notice it. And so this phrase only shows up a couple times in Jeremiah, and we'll look, we'll look at that when we get to the end. So that we're calling it 276 and the hope of Israel. So what we're going to do, here's the preview. This is number two on your handout. Our preview is we're going to talk about hope as a concept. We use that word, but we often use it, we don't even, maybe we don't even realize what we're saying when we use it. But the story is about hope. Acts 27 is a story about hope. The phrase in Jeremiah that equals 276 is a phrase about hope. So we, what we're going to do is just dig a little bit deeper into that word hope. What do we mean as we use that phrase hope? What's the concept surrounding it? The second thing is we have to look at the word righteousness and the concept of righteousness from the Old Testament. Post-Reformation, so after Martin Luther and the, and the Protestant Reformation, five, seven, or 1517 and, and up until today, we often use righteousness through that lens. But we want to look from the, at the Old Testament and say, how did they use righteousness? What was the concept for the Old Testament? We're going to see that there's a storm and a shipwreck there's a calamity happening. We're going to look at the number 276. This is the whole point. And we're going to connect it to something in Jeremiah. Something about hope and God's righteousness. And then ultimately what we find is an amazing message that God's righteousness extends to the Gentiles too. So the Gentiles can have hope in God, the God of Israel. In the ancient world, gods were local. So you have a God of Israel, you have a God in Rome, you have a God in Greece, you have a God in Egypt. But the Bible's going to tell us, but our God is global. It's, a, it's everybody's God, from Isaiah, who has a prophesi prophecy that says, even the Gentiles are going to come in, to the New Testament, which shows the Gentiles coming in, to this verse, the whole story of Acts is the kingdom of God expanding, and Hope is available for the Gentiles, too. It's a narrative way of showing you hope rather than giving you a definition of hope. Okay, so number three. Let's go. We're going to move now to the idea of hope. That's our first concept that we want to cover. We use the word hope. What happens often in our religious settings or biblical settings, we have words that we use, salvation, righteousness, hope. And we don't really stop to say, well, what do you mean by that? Because it's really important that we, that we make sure that we're on the same page before we go down a path. What's your conceptual thought about these words? Uh, I used to always have to do that in seminary. Even a group of seminarians would use religious language, and I'd say, well, what do you mean by? What's your concept of salvation here that you're talking about, or whatever it is. So there's a 
concept of hope. And what we're going to do is look at hope is a, um, and I'm going to use the word psychological phenomenon. Psychological, and the reason I use psychological, well, it is psychological today, but also the Greek word that we translate soul in the New Testament is psyche. So it's a, it's a phenomenon that happens with your soul, your inner being that we can't see. It's a psychological phenomenon that's very powerful. So there's an article, um, I found this article years ago, and it really has made me explore the idea of, of hope and hoping. Um, this article is called The Phenomenology, so the phenomenon that we all experience, and the dynamics of hoping, meaning all of us experience hope. Well, what if we could articulate our, the phenomenon of feeling hope, of, of experiencing hope? So this is from the Journal of Scientific Study of Religion. So the phenomenology of hoping, and, and uh, this was my first introduction, really, to think about hoping in a way as a very concrete psychological process. It's very important to the soul. So if we, we think about hope, and this comes from Paul Prusser in this article, if we think about the idea of hope, it's a phenomenon. We, can, we, it's a, we experience the world in a way. God is up. Um, hell is down. You know, you feel up in the world when you're feeling good. You feel down when you're depressed or despair or all of those D words. And we use up and down as it's the phenomenological way of expressing feeling. And it's very powerful. So hope, hope is a phenomenon that manifests out of a stressful situation. So typically, when we're doing well, we don't have many thoughts of, I hope that I'll be delivered from the, the circumstance because we're not under stress. When you encounter stress, then you manifest what we would call hope, something in the future. The calamities of life. So in Acts 27, they're in a storm, they're stuck. It's a calamity. There's stress, and you don't want to lose hope. So it's, 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 it's born out of those calamities in life. It could, in fact, be born out of being itself. And what I mean by that is the moment you're alive, we have a problem because we have all kinds of limitations. Being presents us with all kinds of limitations. In fact, one of them means we won't be alive anymore. That in and of itself is a calamity of living, and we're all aware of that. So hope provides us something in the future that gives us a solid foundation today, despite our limitation. And then another one is a sense of being trapped. Uh, Paul and his crew are trapped on a ship, and when you have that sense of being trapped, you, have, you now create a, a psychological something in the future we call hope. So it's manifests out of stress. It's the calamities of life itself. It's a sickness. It's COVID-19 is a, is a sense of being trapped. So in hope, when we hope, the object of our hope is somewhere in the future, a type of deliverance. Right now, we're all trapped in this thing called COVID-19. Whether you got sick, you're afraid of getting sick, or just all of the stuff that comes along with this COVID-19, 
and we have hope in the future that we will be delivered from this calamity. So the object of hoping is always a deliverance, something in the future. But what hope does, and this is what's really powerful, to use a nautical metaphor, is it, it gives you an anchor in the present, that you can be in the present at peace with the hope that you will experience a deliverance in the future. So it works both in the for the future, but in the present, and it provides you an anchor. And that objects of deliverance, or perhaps we call it salvation, um, you could see even the hope in Jesus is that this life is not the end of the story, that there's something beyond that's better than what we're experiencing today, and that we place our hope in that promise. Okay, so this is what hoping is, and if we look at Acts 27, the entire chapter of Acts 27 is the experience of hoping. There's a storm. They're, they're not able to manage the ship. They're searching for deliverance. The ship is without an anchor. It's being tossed back and forth on the waves. That's how life is. So in metaphor, it represents the calamities of life. When you find yourself in the midst of a storm and you feel that all hope is lost. So that's the story in narrative form. And, and then nested inside of that, we're going to find little nuggets about hope. And that's really key to find those. So that's the whole chapter of Acts 27. If I were to try to diagram this out, if I just think, well, how can we envision the concept of hoping or hope? We all exist. We're all the center of our own universe. And we all experience the calamities of life. And so as the calamities of life, whether it's, you know, again, sickness or a life circumstance or whatever, things close in around you. All of your limitations become, you're consciously aware of them. And you feel trapped by the circumstances. So that circle there just means, look, we've got all kinds of limitations and we feel trapped by them. And then hope says, oh, but wait a minute, there will be a day of deliverance or salvation. Something will save me. The earliest form of salvation in, in the Bible, meaning the Old Testament, ancient, ancient, is, is associated with freedom. It's a lifting. Whatever weight is placed on you, it's lifted, and now you're free, you experience a freedom. So there's a deliverance, a salvation. And when this connects you, it's called hope. So that in the moment, you can say, one day this circumstance will end, and I will be delivered from this. And what that hope, what hope does is it gives you an anchor. It's an anchor in the present to say, I can stand solidly on God. You know, we talk about God being a rock. Well, why does, is rock uh, used for God? Well, one, it's eternal. Rocks appear to us to be eternal. They've been here forever, and they'll be here forever. So rock is something eternal. Rock is also something stable. So God is a rock. He provides stability in the midst of all these storms of life. And that's what hope is. It become, provides an anchor for our life. So if I just do a quick review, we go back through this idea of hope. It comes in stressful situations, the calamities of life, a disease, a, a sickness, something that's not, you, you feel like there's no cure to it. Just being itself can feel overwhelming. There's a sense of being trapped, but in that moment, uh, we have this 
amazing ability that God gave us to say, but there's going to be a better future, and I know it. And it's a very powerful psychological or soul process that gives you that anchor in the moment. So we can envision a type of deliverance. We can envision that there's a deliverance. Now I can be at peace in the midst of chaos. So that there's something about salvation in the future. And that's exactly what happens in Acts 27. It's even better than that, because as we move to the next concept, righteousness, you'll see that one is going to, that's where our hope really is, is in, is in God's righteousness. So hope, you don't want to lose hope. The opposite of hope, despair, is unhope. And when we fall into despair, you feel like you're just being crushed by the world. The reason that having a transcendent God is so important in the world is the world is crushing. It will crush you. And if you, lo- if you despair or lose hope, you'll give up on everything. But if you have a God that is a God of hope, then you have an anchor to hold on to in the future. All right, so that's hope. Hopefully, hopefully, that gives you a little bit different idea about hope and how powerful that term is. Now, what I want to do, though, is look at the next term. We need to look at the word righteousness, because, again, post-Reformation, our focus of righteousness is often on a state of being rather than action. So that's, it's just a little bit different conception. We want to go back to the, to the biblical studies, takes us back to the first century to say, how would they have viewed the idea of righteousness? How is it used in the Old Testament? So the first thing is, that righteousness is right action. It's all about action. Righteousness is what you do. It's not a state of being, at least in the Old Testament. So we, we want to focus on there's going to be something in Acts 27 that's about action and not just being righteousness, but doing righteousness. And I'm just going to give you one example. This isn't on your sheet, and please don't turn there because I'm going to go real fast, but just listen to Isaiah. It's Isaiah 56, and he says, Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness. And my question is always, well, how do you do righteousness? Now, some of your Bibles translate it, do what is right. Maintain justice and do what is right. But righteousness is action. It's doing what is right. It's doing what's expected of you. If you made a vow in your marriage, and then you upheld that vow, you have, right, you have a righteous marriage. You've righteously upheld your vows because you did what you said you were going to do. So it says, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come. So salvation is tied to something with righteousness. And God says, and my righteousness will be revealed. So the righteousness of God is going to show up at some point. And God wants you to hang on to the fact that his righteousness will show up, his right actions. And uh, if we go back to our list here, so right action, it's all about action. And the context of the Old Testament is always in the context of covenant relationship. God says, let's join in a, a relationship, a covenant. And if you do these things, I will do these things. And that's his promise to us. And sometimes God even says, even if you don't do those things, I'll do, I'll keep up my end of the bargain. But it's always in relationship, and, and righteousness is often 
associated with God's saving actions. That's what we're going to see in, in Acts 27. There's a saving action of God. And so God says, I will do X, and then God does X, and you would say, that's God's righteousness is on display. He told you he would do X, now he did X. It's his saving actions. That's what we're going to see in, in Acts 27. So it's all about action. Uh, at least we have to remember that the way that the Old Testament uses the word righteousness. Okay, so we have hope, we have righteousness, and we have God's righteousness. So really, when we think about our hope in God, it's our hope in God's righteousness. Did God make a promise? And if he did, is he going to fail in that promise? Well, no, human beings fail in their promises all the time. God doesn't. So if we go back to this little diagram, we have a deliverance, a salvation. Does God promise deliverance and salvation? Yes. So God's righteousness, the fact that he has saving actions, that when he promises to save, he does. Now you have an anchor. You have hope as an anchor that whatever situation you're stuck in today, that God says, I will deliver. I am a God of hope. And I'm a God who delivers. I'm a God of action. Now, I don't know the timeline of that deliverance, but it will happen. That's our faith. We put faith in the fact that God will do that. And then that gives us peace in the present, an anchor for our soul. So it's the, the righteousness of God. And that's what we're going to find in... Um, Jeremiah, it's the Lord's righteousness that we're putting our faith in. Okay, so we have hope, we have righteousness. Very important that we recognize the concepts around those. So let's just talk Acts 27. What is happening in Acts 27? What's this whole chapter about? Well, first of all, you have a storm. Paul is going to Rome. He's a prisoner. That's chaos. The storm represents chaos and the enemy of God. Wherever you see that storm, it's the one who, the storms are the one that lash out at the order that God created. The storm is a calamity for these sailors. Nothing is going as expected. So it's, it's full-on life calamity. And very interesting in the text, as we're reading this narrative, they're going to tell us that all hope is lost. So take a look, if you have your Bible open at Acts 27.20, because they're going to explicitly tell us that hope is lost. So Acts 27, verse 20. They're stuck in a storm. And then verse 20 says, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, and Luke says, We finally gave up hope. Hope of what? Salvation. We gave up all hope, of being saved. So there's an explicit reference to hope, at least the first one that we see in this telling. So you have a storm, you have the calamity of being stuck on a ship. Your whole world gets minimized into what is happening moment by moment on that ship, and all hope is lost. But is that the end of the story? Is that the end of the story for the sailors? Of course not, because this is a God story. And what's going to happen in the narrative is that God's going to send a messenger, and he's going to send a promise to Paul. 
And the promise is going to be, don't lose hope. There will be deliverance in the future. So where does that show up? Well, it's Acts, well, Acts 27, but go from verse 20 down to 22. Let's start at verse 22. So the paragraph ends, they lost hope. But then it's going to turn around and Paul says, look, I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. How does Paul know that? Only the ship will be destroyed. And now Paul tells us why. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood behind me. Angel means messenger, a messenger of the God. So a messenger showed up with a message from God to Paul. First thing God says all the time, don't be afraid. Easier said than done, yes? Hey, don't be afraid. You must stand trial before Caesar. So God's saying, look, Paul, I've got a mission for you. I'm taking you to Rome, so you'll stand in front of Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Now that's the key. Righteousness is, the, is when God's saving actions happen as God told you. I have faith in God that it will happen. That's because God is a righteous God, just as he told me. If God says, I save, then he will save. So God sends a message to Paul, and it's, Paul says, look, I have faith. Well, how do you, Paul, how do you have faith in that, in that God? Because God is a righteous God who does what he says. And so I know the God that I, that I worship. So God will follow through on the promises, and that promise becomes your hope, the, the, the thing that anchors you in the moment. So we have the storm, a calamity, all hope is lost, but that's not it. There's a promise from God, and ultimately we see in chapter 27 that there's deliverance, that they do make it, that every single person, and the crazy part about this is it's not just a Jewish God. This is a God for everybody, the Gentiles, the sailors. I mean, the sailors are thought of as, you know, lower than low on the rung of, of society. The Romans, the Roman centurions are saved. So God's, God's hope and God's deliverance even applies to the Gentiles. This is amazing. God's kingdom is manifesting itself right before our eyes. Just as talked about in Isaiah, everybody will come to know the God is the God that you worship is the God that you put hope in. Him. So it's, a, it's such a cool, but they don't give it to us in a definition like we would like as Westerners. They give you the narrative. They, they, they tell you the story of hope. And inside of that, he's going to insert a number, 276. And then you say, well, why is he doing that? Why is 276 showing up in this narrative? Why include that detail? So the reason this is so important, well, first of all, you notice it because it's a triangle number, but also there's a phrase from the Old Testament. The phrase is, the Lord is our righteousness. It's actually two Hebrew words, but it shows up in English. The Lord is our righteousness. Well, what's righteousness? Saving action. The Lord is going to deliver us. And that little phrase equals 276. So 
It's a phrase in Jeremiah. Turn to Jeremiah 23, so you'll already be there. Now, we don't think about the Bible at all this way, but I can tell you, Easterners still do. If you study with a Jewish rabbi, they'll point out all these things. If you have a unique statement in the Old Testament, something only found once or twice, it's going to stand out. And then they, they grab that and use it, just like Iglaim in Ezekiel 47.10. So the Lord is our righteousness. It's two Hebrew words, Yahweh Zadakenu. It means our righteousness. It shows up twice in the entire Old Testament. Both are in, in Jeremiah. We'll look at them in, a, in the future, uh, in the future, in a few minutes. But when it only shows up twice, now it stands out to you. And it's not only that, it concerns future deliverance. The whole, as what we're going to read in Jeremiah, is, a, is about a deliverer and God's promise to deliver his people. So you pay attention to that because it's messianic. It points towards the future. And then finally, as I mentioned, it, it adds up to the number 270, or I put two, that's my typo. I put 267. It's actually 276. That's my typo. Sorry about that. It adds up to 276. The words in Hebrew, it's two words, Yahweh, yud Hey vav Hey, that equals 26. If you add those letters up, yud Hey vav Hey, and then Zadakenu, our righteousness. Zadak is righteousness. Nu is ours, plural, our righteousness. And when you add those up, you get 276. Ah, now you get a verse that hardly shows up in the Bible at all, only twice, and it's a triangle number. Well, that stands out like a sore thumb now, just like Iglaim does in Ezekiel. Okay, so let's look at Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah 23 and then Jeremiah 33. And even though 276 is the triangle of the number 23, the chapters and verses were numbers were added later. So it would just be pure God coincidence that Jeremiah 23 contains something that is the triangle of 23. But let's look at what this says. It's verses 5 and 6. Jeremiah says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, or God speaking through Jeremiah. Now, what does the days are coming mean? Something in the future. You hold out for something in the future. The days are coming. When I will raise up for David, or the house of David, a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely. Who's the righteous king? The Messiah. It's the Messiah to come. The righteous branch is another way of saying the Messiah. I will raise up the Messiah, who will, well, what's the context of Acts? Yeah, the Messiah has been raised up. The righteous branch, Jesus, is now the king, reigning wisely. It's the kingdom of God. A king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. Now, verse 6, in his days, Judah will be saved. So there's your promise of salvation, Judah. And Israel will live in safety. So you've got, you've got a promise of a future deliverer, salvation, for the people of Israel. It's the hope of Israel. When God says, I will deliver you in the future, bring it now, God. Bring on your deliverance right now. 
And then here's the key. This is the name by which he will be called. The righteous branch is going to be called Yahweh Zedekinu, the Lord our righteousness. Now, this is the NIV, so they are trying to help you interpret what the Lord our righteousness means. Your Bible might say the Lord our righteousness. This says the Lord our righteous Savior because it's talking about salvation. Now, the other, it's, if you look in Jeremiah 33, you have almost exactly the same two sentences, same two verses, except Israel gets replaced with Jerusalem. But it's, it's basically, Jeremiah is repeating the same thing. So this is huge, because that, the Lord, our righteousness, if we go back to this page right here, A, stands out, because it's only twice in the Old Testament. It's concerned something about our future deliverance, so we're paying attention to that. And oh, by the way, is, well, sorry, again, 276, not 267, my fault for doing that. So it stands out. This is something that stands out. And then you'd say, ah, so when, we, when Luke includes a detail like 276, he's pointing you back to that Jeremiah passage saying that's all about the promise and deliverance and the hope that God gives us. But now, instead of Judah and Israel, it's the Gentiles are being included. Very important that we notice that. So the 276 in the book of Acts, Acts 27 is all about hope and the hope in God's righteous saving actions. And what we notice, though, is now it's being extended to the Gentiles. Uh, the book of Acts begins and ends with, the, with teaching about the kingdom of God. The book of Acts um, is the acts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is moving throughout. Holy Spirit this, Holy Spirit that. The book of Acts is showing you the kingdom of God is expanding and it's unstoppable. And now we have Gentiles included in this kingdom of God expansion. So the 276, even within that little number, holds the idea that the kingdom of God is being manifested for the entire world. Okay. The storm, we all have storms in life, whether it's the COVID-19, whether you have COVID-19 or not, if you get sick, that, that creates a calamity. Life sometimes is a calamity, but you don't want to get crushed with no hope. And in Acts 27, they say, ah, all hope is lost, but that's not true. God sends a promise, he sends a message to Paul, and ultimately, the exact thing the, that the angel told Paul happened. That's God's righteousness. So we go back to this and we say, how can we live more fully in our own lives today? Meaning, yes, there's chaos all around me. And it seems that things are becoming more chaotic by the day. But that doesn't mean that God's promise of, of deliverance or salvation is off the table. In fact, now I need to increase the light, increase the hope, and strengthen that hope so that I can stand firm in the moment and be at peace in the moment, knowing that that promise is there, despite how the world happens to be looking in the moment. Very important for us to be able to see that. So, And by the way, God is a God that you can put your hope in. False gods are false hope. So our hope is anchored in God's character and his righteous nature and his promises. 
It's an amazing story using the ship and a storm and the, and the lack of having an anchor. And let me show you one last piece. This is, if you, if you have your Bible open, turn to Acts 28, verse 20. I'll put it on the screen. So Paul goes through this, the storm. He, they make it out. Now he's in Rome. And look at the sentence that, so we're, we're going to get a finishing sentence here coming up in, in the book of Acts. And he's telling uh, the audience, for this reason, I have come to see you and talk with you. And then he gives his reason. It's the hope of Israel that I am bound in, with chains. What's the hope of Israel? That God's salvation did arrive. That the, the promise that God made back in um, Jeremiah is fulfilled in Jesus. And that hope, that's the hope of Israel, that God will one day provide the Redeemer and they will be redeemed. And Paul says to his Jewish brethren, that's why I'm here. So we've got twice in these stories at the end of Acts something about hope and that how hope becomes an anchor. Now let, let me finish this up. The early Christians took on symbols to show the power of Jesus. One was a shepherd. So you often see a drawing of a shepherd carrying a sheep. That's one. The other one is what scholars call an anchor cross. An anchor cross. Here's a picture of one. This is an anchor cross in Sardis. And when they excavated Sardis, they found this is a dye vat for somebody who does dyeing. And they put this so you can see the cross isn't straight line crossed. It has um, parts on each end of the cross and a little keyhole at the bottom that would be like an anchor. The cross is the anchor of your faith. And so they represent it and say these anchor crosses are found all over the catacombs saying that's our anchor, the cross. What happened at the cross? gives us the hope that there's something better in the future. And so we put it into our art and our depiction of the cross, and these are anchor crosses. Amazing. So that's early Christian symbolism. This straight-line cross doesn't come till later, but that's the, some of the earliest crosses that we see. Okay. Hopefully, hopefully, and I use that word, hopefully, I was at least able to take you on a little bit of a journey and the depth at which narrative, narrative is so powerful. You know, people read the book of Genesis and what is this telling me? It's strange story after strange story after strange story. Inside the narrative are all the lessons and you have to take a little bit of time to dig in and find those lessons. And this is one of them, Acts, tw Acts 27 and that number two, uh, I did it again on that screen, sorry. 276. 276 and the hope of Israel. It's and when we see that revealed, it's the it's the revelation from below. It solidifies your faith more than just being told something from the top. It's you discovering it through the God revealing it to you. When you do that, it's much more solid than somebody just telling you the answer. Discovering it significantly more profound than just getting the answer. That's why Jesus talks so enigmatically all the time. Parables are designed to help you discover the answer yourself.
So, okay. That's 276 and the hope of Israel. Another triangle number. And God willing, I was able to present that well enough. We can always circle back at some point in the future and answer questions if there are any. Okay, let me stop the share here.